San Francisco, California. I'm Franklin, and you're listening to the Rock Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. Coming up in a few moments, Mr. Vikram Kakarni joins us at the HU 2016 Fall Meeting. So stay tuned for all of this here on the Rock Science Show. Welcome back to the program. Uh, I'm Franklin. And I am Vikram Kulkarni. The man on the street. <laughs> Hello. So, uh, yeah, what's shaking this year? A uh, lot of different things going on. The Bay Area is always a happening place. Yeah, the... it feels like Christmas, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like Christmas. It's cold and it's very festive. And also with Christmas, comes the annual arrival of the AGU, the week-long meeting of the American Geophysical Union. Yes, the fall meeting that's traditionally been held in San Francisco, although it looks like from, <coughs> from next year they're going to start rotating and it's going to be like a three-year cycle until it comes back. That's correct, yeah. I think it's in Louisiana and then Washington, D.C. Right. Um, well, you know, it's good to have uh, get your science spread out. Yeah, but so this year we had what another twenty two thousand people show up. Yeah, or yeah, even even higher, but yeah. Same. Right, and uh, they covered all sorts of uh, aspects of geology, glaciology, space sciences, uh, even climatology. I think one of the the big themes this year is um, you know what's going to happen under America's next uh, presidential administration. Yeah, that is correct. And uh, there is a lot of talk about uh, infrastructure, about, of course, classic, you know, just scientific funding and whether that's going to be uh, somehow uh, compromised. Uh, but there is also, uh, was also a lot of talk about natural hazards and hydrology and, you know, items related to climate change and extreme events. Uh, uh, and whether that funding will continue and or which fields will be looked at in a positive light and which in the negative light. So there, there was, you could feel or I got some sort of feeling that people were anxious. Right. And I, I think um, there were several topics related to uh, energy and climate change. And I, I believe a group had actually set up a, a petition for the new administration not to cancel uh, research into earth sciences and to consider climate change into their policy considerations. Yeah, certainly, uh, and and that is uh, hopefully people listen to it uh, and you know continue the work that's going on because a lot of effort has already been put into it, and you basically uh, don't carry it all the way to the end. You're throwing a lot of dollars into the air. So it, it turns out Exxon was not a sponsor of this year's AGU. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did not observe that, but Franklin here is quite the keen observer. And uh, I'm pretty sure that it was uh, it might have been some sort of an interesting way to show their displeasure. But real science marches on. 
<laughs> yeah, they don't need to keep people. <laughs> so, you know, I think related to that was what what is the uh, new Trump administration going to do with renewables? Uh, until now, there's been this tax credit uh, to, to help uh, renewables get some footing into the market. But it turns out that investments in renewables have actually exceeded that of coal, uh, not only in the U.S., but globally. And in the last year or so, the, the price of renewables, and especially solar and wind, have dropped dramatically to the extent that even without subsidies, even without the tax credits, they're cheaper than coal to many places in, uh, in the U.S. And so um, the momentum, you know, if you just look at the free market, is on the side of renewables. And, you know, unless you start massively subsidizing coal, it looks like it stays there unnumbered. Uh, yes, and, and you know, it's coal is not anybody's favorite uh, for a lot of reasons, emissions being number one. Right. Uh, and, uh, of course, there's a large infrastructure in place that's going to fight that tooth and nail because, you know, it's their money. But, yeah, I mean, if renewables comes through, that's uh, that would be... Well, it, seem, it would mean that it's in the best interest of the utilities to develop renewables because yeah, they right. profit more. Yeah, I, I mean, they, they'll make money and it is, you know, politically and just for the betterment of mankind of much... Right, and possible. the other thing that researchers have been pointing out is that they're creating more jobs... Than uh, what coal is, yeah. With coal, because you need maintenance, you need service people and local contractors to install and, and support these right, systems. Right. So it turns out you need somewhat skilled labor. And that, in the long run, will probably produce more jobs. Okay, so uh, I know you've been an aficionado of geotechnical engineering. Uh, what do you think are some of the interesting stories coming out in terms of construction and infrastructure this year? Well, the, some of the biggest news uh, from from my perspective, anyways, is is uh, is really the focus on infrastructure that uh, the Trump administration is putting on there because if actually it does go you know a lot of these things are don't go in a linear fashion there is a lot of push and pull so uh, I don't think the actual funding may come through but if actual funding does come through in a couple of years a lot of projects that are on the back burner can start which means large employment and the thing with infrastructure projects is it does bring in employment in large numbers for several contractors and, and things like that and can probably give a reasonable bump to the economy but on their tech side or on the from an AGU perspective or some research perspective what is exciting from a sub somewhat big picture is how much extreme events is coming to the forefront than simply uh, like as part of climate change but within climate change there is always talk about simply sea level rise or things like that but the extreme event talk has been gaining much more popularity recently and uh, a lot of natural hazard sciences have been moving into the whole mapping and you know working with different local populations in terms of either uh, predicting or uh, preparing the populations or local systems for disasters in light of climate change, which is the sea level rises may be a coastal issue, but that in general doesn't you know catch the hardened minds of people as much as an extreme event would, which would basically demolish communities and would essentially cause life-changing problems to 
communities across the planet. And that is, I, have, I notice a lot of natural hazard research, a lot of experimentation data collection is moving in that direction. Uh, along this topic of, you know, what to do about the uh, greenhouse gas emissions, which uh, was widely talked about at the AGU, uh, one of the issues is uh, carbon sequestration. Uh, wh what have you heard about that? A, a couple of things that I noticed at the AGU, as you well know, it's such a large conference. Uh, on, you know, you can only look at a few things, but uh, one was that there was a very interesting presentation about uh, looking at the mantle as a source of carbon sequestration, which was very, uh, you know, something uh, exceptional and not commonly at least heard by me before. Uh, and that was basically that they were looking at weak areas of the Earth's crust, uh, or not weak areas, very thin areas with very thin uh, thickness of the Earth's crust so that the access to the Earth's mantle is uh, possible. And they were basically trying to create a passive system where they would put pipes through the Earth's crust into the mantle and basically release uh, carbon deficient or carbon hungry elements, which are in the form of, I believe, uh, some sort of fluid or gases that basically just bubble up through the seafloor. So they don't stay in the water, they bubble up through the seafloor, just get into the Earth's atmosphere and because they're carbon hungry, they grab onto the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So apparently, uh, the idea is, I, I'm not exactly sure of the composition of these gases, but the, the final product post carbon dioxide uh, um, reaction is limestone. And because that's heavier than water, you get this reaction where you suck carbon dioxide out of the oxygen, becomes limestone and naturally then uh, settles or sinks to the bottom of the ocean. So it also automatically is pulled out of the sea uh, by simply its waste. So you must be talking about calcite or limestone that's spewing out I, I, It's my, my guess, but I, I, I don't exactly know how that works. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, since carbon, uh, calcium carbonate, which is limestone, right. is the final product, has to have some calcium component to those gases. Right. Uh, however, they are in gaseous form, and I don't know how they that whole thing is managed, but the apparently the way it was being sold was that it's a passive system and that the pipes are all is required. You don't need any mechanical system to, you know, continue this. This Just the fact that there is an access to, of the mantle to the seafloor will take care of it. So the solution to, to uh, greenhouse gas emissions is just puncture the mantle and, uh, and, and <laughs> spew out some uh, gases. Uh, again, you also need those gases that are easily available. And I don't know, I, I'm, this is all prototypes and I, I, I think this is still to be proven, but they are apparently have some, at least from what I remember, they had some experiment going on in Norway or some polar part of the world. Uh, so it's not proven yet. It's still prototype and uh, or still a hypothesis. And, uh, okay, I, I think that's a little bit different from the the conventional concept we see of sequestration, where you pump the CO two into um, aquifers or rock formations or right. underground formations right. that mm -hmm. absorb it. But you're saying that we could just do it in the air itself. Right. And, and these are all uh, uh, complementary methods. I don't think this one method is going to actually, you know, cause a dent by itself. But 
but that, that it was I just brought it up because it was uh, completely out there not never heard of this thing before and along those lines uh, if you remember we also attended uh, a panel that was talking about how to deal with the last 20% of carbon carbon dioxide emissions in conventional right. uh, energy plants and they were coming up with a lot of obstacles that they had as well as uh, methodologies they could pursue to 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 get that last 20% which apparently is proving to be a big problem right i think the marginal cost of removing carbon from uh, energy production gets more and more expensive because right. It turns out, um, you know, we, we could probably meet most of our electricity needs through renewables, but uh, industries need lots of heat for their processes, whether it's metal, aluminum, glass, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, stuff you use for infrastructure. Okay. And until now, we've been using mostly, you know, fossil fuels or nuclear power to heat the systems, or nuclear power mostly for electricity, but potentially that could also be used to right. uh, drive industrial processes. So... I think that's the one area that, you know, we still need to take a hard look at uh, for the long term if we're really going to uh, address that last 20% right. of uh, emissions. Okay, and finally, well, you were mentioning about disaster risk uh, mitigation. And I think one of the interesting presentations we came across was on the Mekong River uh, Delta system. What do you think about the work they're doing over there? So uh, I'm personally not and wasn't aware of it, but it was a very interesting presentation because the Mekong, which I personally didn't know, apparently runs through five different nations. And they were using the Mekong, the flooding of the Mekong in different communities uh, as a prototype or as a base model to develop a river flooding uh, disaster preparedness plan. And they had an open platform upon which they were developing it. So the, the Mekong itself being a very large river system and a complicated river system is a great resource itself and affects a large population. So it's a great case study, but not only that, what they were saying was, we are doing this disaster preparedness, we are also collecting data, we are disseminating information about how to be prepared across different nations. And so all our experience that we have across multiple people, multiple boundaries, we are putting up on this platform that you can then port to different river systems across the world. Mm -hmm. And because it's a government agency, they're all open and willing to interact with everyone. And that was their kind of, their cell that, you know, if you are involved in another government agency, you know, you could interact with us and we could work directly with you. And uh, as just, a, you know, as help to the larger mankind, it's, it's I think, a great event or a great resource that maybe people should uh, look into, take advantage of. It was called the Asian Disaster Preparedness Center, the ADPC, and their uh, Mekong particular thing is called Server Mekong, and they're, they're at adpc.net. Excellent. Well, I, I think this was a pretty uh, uh, good roundup for AG. And we were just talking to Mr. Vikram Kulkarni at the fall meeting of the AGU 2016. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in again next week for more from the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.groks.net, on Facebook, 
and Twitter. You can also email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music.